0: Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. I apologize throughout the episode if you hear this creakiness. Um, I have this nice comfy chair that I use for podcasting, and this week Sophia set it up in her room. In a throne-like situation, very adorably, with stuffed animals and blankets and fun stuff. And I forgot to grab it out of the girls' room before Lucy went to sleep. So I'm not going to wake a sleeping baby to grab that chair. Um, So please excuse and thank you for your patience for that little creaky sound, if you hear it throughout the episode. On today's episode, we'll talk about the Eighth Commandment. So we are just working our way through these Ten Commandments. And before we get to the Eighth Commandment, I just want to touch on um, this past weekend, a couple of the gospel passages I believe Saturday and Sunday and perhaps others talked about the virtue of humility. Um, so we read on in Saturday's gospel from the Gospel of Luke chapter 14 uh, Jesus talks about you know if you go to a banquet, um, go to the lowest, go and take the lowest place, he says, so that, you know, God forbid you walk in, you take the highest place, and then someone more important than you shows up to the banquet, you're going to feel like a fool being knocked down, like, excuse me, could you just scoot down a little bit? We actually need your seat for someone more important. He says, go and take the lowest place, and then, you know, depending on how the chips fall, the, the, uh, the host or host and hostess might elevate you. To a higher place. And so he ends, or that gospel passage ends with, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then we read yesterday in uh, Matthew's gospel, Sunday's reading, uh, Jesus says about the, he's talking about the, the Pharisees, how they like to, um, you know, Basically, look good in public. They they put these heavy burdens on us to follow, but don't take them. Don't lift a finger themselves. And so Jesus says to his followers, to his disciples, to those listening, he says, "Do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you." So they they're teaching the truth. They're teaching the Torah. They're handing on God's word. But he says, "Do not follow their example." And I think that's that's timeless advice, timeless instruction uh, for all of us, no matter the. The situation, the position of authority—you know, whether it's Pharisees and Sadducees back in the day, whether it's priests, bishops, theology teachers today. Um, you know, we we are always called to follow the truth, observe the truth, live the truth, but not necessarily if, if we're in the presence of bad teachers, priests, bishops, etc., not follow their example. So do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. And then again, this gospel passage ends with whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so I think I've been reflecting on that that quote, the three most important virtues are humility, 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 which is not a stance of like, you know, downturned face, I'm so lowly, I know nothing, but r- really an upturned face, like, God, you, you know more, you have more to give, and so let me be open to receive it, to learn it, to know it, to uh, be blessed by it. And really, I think those, those who are humble really win in the end and even now in that uh, I think they pick up on on things, they receive things um, that the, those of us who are prideful don't, that we miss out on. Dan and I are currently watching the David Beckham documentary on Netflix, and I'm so struck with each episode. There's only a handful of episodes, but I'm so struck by really his humility. So he's, you know, this good-looking guy. He's an incredible soccer player. He's married to another superstar, Posh Spice. Uh, They have this beautiful marriage, four wonderful children, and, you know, they're they're very public figures, wealthy, et cetera. Um, But he really, you know, you never know for sure if, if people are portrayed accurately, but the, the way that he comes across a, in the documentary is, is as a humble man. Um, at one point, he's standing in this big, beautiful kitchen, and the, the interviewer says, like, oh, kitchen looks pretty clean. Who did that? And he goes, uh, David Beckham says, well, I did. I like to keep a tidy house. <laughs> the, the interviewer was like, oh, so kind of like stumbles over himself, like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so whether we are a High-profile public figure, uh, rock star, superstar, soccer player, or a seemingly average Jane or Joe, uh, the the disposition of humility, living a life of humility, opens us up to receive the more, the goodness, the beauty, the truth, all that God has to offer us. And when we're we're prideful. Um, we're, we're turned off from that. We're closed off from that and are not able to receive that. So come, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to be to be humble, to be open and receptive to, to all that you wish to pour out upon us, with which you wish to bless us, with which you wish to bless us. There we go. So now speaking of the eighth command, um, which is thou shalt not bear false witness, we talk about truth and Again, uh, as we've said in so many episodes, we've we've discussed throughout this podcast, we are made for the truth. So as human beings, we are hardwired for truth. God creates us to receive the truth, to live in accordance with the truth, so as to achieve the end goal of our humanity, which is happiness, fulfillment, not just in the next life, but even now. And so I, th- I think the church gets a bad rap. I think Christians get a bad rap in that. Um, God, religion, the church is kind of this like finger wagging, preachy, like this is the truth and you better obey it. But it's like the the reality is no, this truth points to reality. This is the reality. And so let us know it, live in accord with it and achieve our fulfillment, our happiness. So we'll read on the second half of today's episode, paragraphs 2464 through 2513, and 2464 opens with, the Eighth Commandment forbids misrepresenting the truth in our relations with others. So you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, The moral prescription flows from the vocation of the holy people to bear witness to their God who is the truth and wills the truth. So it is our vocation to bear witness to our God who is the truth and who wills the truth. This commandment reminds, encourages, commands us to point with our words and our actions to the truth. So we're, we're commanded by this eighth commandment, basically not to get in the way of the truth and to magnify it, to bring that light of truth into every little corner of the world. Why? again because we're made for it okay this is the, the truth is the gas that fuels us the the food that feeds us the power that strengthens us and if I had a, if I had a dollar for every person who set, has said to me over the course of the last 15 20 years because it's almost 20 years um, that I've been teaching uh, you know if I had just known that truth, when I was in my 20s, or if I, had, if I had just gone to the Franciscan University of Steubenville and had some of the professors that you had and learned this at a younger age, I would be X, Y, and Z, basically, like, happier at this point in my life, or it would have saved me from so much heartache or so many missteps. Um, so if I had a dollar for for every person who said that, I would have a lot of dollars. <laughs> so just that—that's just anecdotal. But we—we're um, we're made for the truth. We desire the truth. We don't want to be lied to. We don't want to get. Um, I mean, we don't. You know because we have a fallen nature, we don't always want to go through the difficulty of learning and then putting that truth into practice. But, but ultimately, we want that truth, we, we want to live in accord with that truth, because we know that we are made for that at, the, at a basic, fundamental, human level, we know. Speaking of dollars and Catholic education, forgive me if I mentioned this anecdote previously, but my cousin Cade, who attended a, a Catholic high school, I guess was he and his classmates were bantering one day with one of their teachers and and basically saying like, ah, come on, Catholic Catholic school teachers are notorious for not making that much money. Like, how much do you make? And this teacher very, uh, very you know quickly came back with, oh, don't worry, boys and girls, I make. Hundreds of dollars, hundreds of dollars. Oh, Catholic humor! All right, so I'd like to come to once again to the church's defense. Uh, in that, so many people say, you know, the the church needs to update its truth or get with the times, or you know, maybe you know th- this is the year that that the church will change this teaching. Etc. cetera. Uh, right now people or some people are saying, you know, as the, the synod comes to a close, um, you know, maybe this, the, the church will finally realize like it's time to, to bless same sex unions. Um, but you know, we need to understand and then help others understand that, that that's not the role of the church. So the church is instituted by Christ to hand on his truth throughout time and space so that all people can come to know that truth, live that truth, love that truth, live in accord with that truth. Um, she simply hands on the truth entrusted to her. Um, so when people say, maybe the church will change this, etc. No, the church just hands on this truth, a, a reality that's independent of her, and over which she doesn't have not just the power, but like the ability to, to change. So it's not that the church says, like, we're not going to change this, or we can't change this. She says, like, I can't. It's not my truth. I just, I hand on what Christ has entrusted to me. Um, And in fact, while I'm handing it on to you, the church says, like, look at this truth. Listen to this truth. Receive this truth. It will make you happy, fulfilled, whole. Why? Because it comes from the God who created you and loves you and wills your happiness. So we as individual men and women are called to do the same, to say, here's the truth and here's my best attempt to live the truth so that my life may proclaim the truth. And God, forgive me when I don't. And please, you know, make up for my shortfalls so that others will be attracted to that, see the beauty in that so that they too live it as well. A couple mornings a week, I'll go uh, to the Starbucks in town, I'll get a coffee early in the morning. So at this point, it's it's dark. And um, I'll get my coffee in one of those cafe mugs when you stay in the stay in Starbucks, you know, you can sit and drink in their cafe mug, and uh, then turn it in at the end. But I'll go out because I'm often surrounded by lots of little people i take this moment in the morning to to take my warm cafe mug out to the car and you know pray and <clears throat> periodically i'll check emails and stuff catch up on text messages and so one of my girlfriends said like man like you do this so regularly you know you get your coffee you pray in the car you're probably you're probably evangelizing that starbucks i said i don't know i'm like this weird lady who sits in a dark car with her with her coffee mug like I'm doing something. I don't know if evangelizing is the thing I'm doing, but uh, it's it's something. So Lord, may we may we put your truth into practice in our lives, so that it evangelizes others. And and when we don't, when we're the weird Catholic, please make up for our shortfalls and and bring the light into to others' lives. All right, let's take a look at uh, paragraph twenty four seventy one, and then back to 2469. 24:71 says before before Pilate Christ proclaims that he has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The Christian is not to be ashamed then of testifying to our Lord. So like like it's the church's role to simply hand on the truth it is our role, um, our gift, our honor our privilege to share that truth, with all those uh, with whom we come into contact. 2469 says, the virtue of truth gives another his just due. So to hand on truth is an act of justice because we give to others what is due to them. Every human being is made for truth and so when we share that truth, hand on that truth, we are giving to others what is, is due to them, what, that for which they are made. We can prayerfully consider, discern the best way to hand on that truth. So sometimes it's explicitly teaching, like this is what you know Jesus through the church teaches. Sometimes it's the way we put it into practice in our lives, um, and sometimes you know people are not prepared to hear it necessarily. Maybe like they even see us living in, it and it's like, hey. um, and so the, the way we can hand on that truth is is praying in a in a concerted. <laughs> Targeted way that sounds kind of funny, um, for that person that that he or she will come to know that truth and fall in love with that truth, see the beauty in that truth. So you know, if we find ourselves in a situation where it's like, eh, I want to tell. So I recently found myself in a situation where I wanted to share something uh, with someone, but I just knew she was not really prepared to hear it, and um, didn't really seem like she would be open to hearing it. So I thought, mm, I'll just I'll pray for her. I'll pray that. God, let's say, magically infuses it into her heart and mind, or sends the right person, sends a better evangelist than I to, to share that truth, such that it's, um, it's palatable for her and maybe more attractive, she's able to receive it in a better way than, than I could hand it on to her. 24:67 says, "Man tends by nature." <laughs> Excuse me. 24:67 says, "Man tends by nature toward the truth." Persons are also bound to adhere to the truth once they come to know it and direct their whole lives in accordance with the demands of truth. So cue my students who for many years, when they found out that missing mass on Sunday was a mortal sin, would say like, oh, no, now we're responsible for it. Now we know it's a mortal sin, so we have to go. Our tendency might be like, "Eh, maybe it's better if I don't know and then I can just like kind of skip through the daisies blissfully, ignorantly, unaware. Um, but if we're made for this, then th- then that is what will fulfill us. So if we're living with partial truths um, or partly in accord with the truth. It's like eating you know cheap fast food, like it gives us strength and, and some sort of nourishment. But then when the whole truth comes to us and we start to live in accordance with that, it's like like feasting on, you know, really good food. Uh, having a, a deliciously prepared steak rather than uh, a Big Mac, which is good, but just not as good as a, a wonderful steak. It's like living, um, I don't know, in like a dusty old cave versus entering this luxurious mansion where we could be living our day to day. And so when my students would say like, ah, oh, why did you teach us that? Now we're responsible for that. You know, at first I would joke with them like, oh, Like, you know, now you're responsible. See you at Mass. But then I would try to help them understand, like, no, this is good. God doesn't just randomly command you to go to Mass because he feels like it or he's on a power trip. He commands you to come to him at least once a week, at a bare minimum, once a week for an hour, um, to come into communion with him because he is the source of life and love and truth and beauty and goodness and peace. And who doesn't want to tap into that? Who doesn't want to be connected to that and receive that truth and beauty and goodness and peace and joy um, in the midst of, you know, busy, stressful weeks. So it's really a gift and a blessing uh, to receive the truth and uh, for each of us to be able to participate in, in handing on that truth. 2475 through 2487 go on then to detail the offenses against truth. So false witness and perjury, Uh, rash judgment, detraction, which is disclosing another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them, or calumny. Um, This is harming the reputation of others, giving occasion for false judgments concerning them, Uh, boasting, and then lying. And so the Catechism spends a, a handful of paragraphs talking about lying. 2486 says, lying is destructive of society. It undermines trust among men, and tears apart the fabric of social relationships. So we might pause for a moment and think of of people in our lives who are truthful and how easy it is to trust them because we know that they're going to tell us the truth in in small matters and in big matters. And then we might think of people in our lives who maybe they don't outright lie but you know kind of kind of massage the truth <laughs> to fit the narrative. Um, leave out certain details to fit the narrative. And, um, you know, when when we pick up on that, we start to distrust those people or, or have a little less confidence in those relationships. And so God invites, encourages, commands us not to bear false witness against our neighbor, to obey the eighth commandment, um, because it's good for us individually, and then it's good for society. The catechism then makes a a nice distinction in that we don't have to in, in telling the truth. We don't. We live in an age where, um, you know, in an age of reality TV, where we see all that's going on in so many people's lives whom we don't even know. And the Catechism makes this distinction and says, you know, we don't we don't have to tell every little detail to every single person. Um, but again, by the grace of God, we can and using our our own. Intellect and free will, we can discern what needs to be shared so as to share the truth and then um, what does not need to be shared or, or with whom it doesn't need to be shared. So everyone doesn't need to know every single thing. So 2469 says, truthfulness keeps to the just mean, or like the average, the middle, between what ought to be expressed and what ought to be kept secret. It entails honesty and discretion. And then 2489 says, the duty to avoid scandal. so this is specifically talking about scandal, uh, scandalizing others, often commands strict discretion. No one is bound to reveal to the truth to someone who does not have the right to know it. So again, as, as Dan and I are watching this this Beckham documentary, um, there is at some point there are a couple allegations of infidelity, and as the, the person doing the interviews interviews David Beckham and then his wife, Victoria, you know, they both talk about how it was a really difficult time because um, it's as public figures, it's splashed across the papers, it's in the media. But throughout the documentary, they, they, they neither confirm nor deny um, because we, we don't need to know it's not our business. And so we don't have to tell every little detail to every single person. Um, but that's something we can, we can bring before the Lord and discern what needs to be shared and what, what doesn't. And then paragraph 2,500 ends with this, this beautiful discussion of truth, beauty, and sacred art. The practice of goodness is accompanied by spontaneous spiritual joy and moral beauty. Likewise, truth carries with it the joy and splendor of spiritual beauty. Truth is beautiful in itself. Truth in words, the rational expression of the knowledge of created and uncreated reality, is necessary to man who is endowed with intellect. But truth can also find other complementary forms of human expression. Above all, when it is a matter of evoking what is beyond words, the depths of the human heart, the exaltations of the soul, the mystery of God. Even before revealing himself to man in words of truth, God reveals himself to him through the universal language of creation, the work of his word, of his wisdom, the order and harmony of the cosmos, which both the child and the scientist discover." From the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator, for the author of beauty created them. So truth is beautiful in itself. God created us to be rational beings, and so when we perceive reality with our rational intellect, it is a joy. It's beautiful to behold, and then to live in accord with that truth, in accordance with that truth, brings greater uh, delight, greater joy. So come, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to come to know you, you who are the way, the truth, and the life, and help us to live the truth you have entrusted to us well so that it may invite others to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we'll take a brief break and return on the second half of the episode to read about the Eighth Commandment. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 2464 through 2513. Article 8, the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The Eighth Commandment forbids misrepresenting the truth in our relations with others. This moral prescription flows from the vocation of the holy people to bear witness to their God who is the truth and wills the truth. Offenses against the truth express by word or deed a refusal to commit oneself to moral uprightness. They are fundamental infidelities to God, and in this sense, they undermine the foundations of the covenant. Living in the truth. The Old Testament attests that God is the source of all truth. His word is truth. His law is truth. His faithfulness endures to all generations. Since God is true, the members of his people are called to live in the truth. In Jesus Christ, the whole of God's truth has been made manifest. Full of grace and truth, he came as the light of the world. He is the truth. Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The disciple of Jesus continues in his word so as to know the truth that will make you free and that sanctifies To follow Jesus is to live in the spirit of truth whom the Father sends in his name and who leads into all the truth. To his disciples, Jesus teaches the unconditional love of truth. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Man tends by nature toward the truth. He is obliged to honor and bear witness to it. It is in accordance with their dignity that all men, because they are persons, are both impelled by their nature and bound by a moral obligation to seek the truth, especially religious truth. They are also bound to adhere to the truth once they come to know it and direct their whole lives in accordance with the demands of truth. Truth as uprightness in human action and speech is called truthfulness, sincerity, or candor. Truth or truthfulness is the virtue which consists in showing oneself true in deeds and truthful in words and in guarding against duplicity, dissimulation, and hypocrisy. Men could not live with one another if there were not mutual confidence that they were being truthful to one another. The virtue of truth gives another his just due. Truthfulness keeps to the just mean between what ought to be expressed and what ought to be kept secret. It entails honesty and discretion. In justice, as a matter of honor, one man owes it to another to manifest the truth. The disciple of Christ consents to live in the truth, that is, in the simplicity of a life in conformity with the Lord's example, abiding in his truth. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Before Pilate, Christ proclaims that he has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The Christian is not to be ashamed then of testifying to our Lord. In situations that require witness to the faith, the Christian must profess it without equivocation after the example of St. Paul before his judges. We must keep a clear conscience towards God and toward men. The duty of Christians to take part in the life of the church impels them to act as witnesses of the gospel and of the obligations that flow from it. This witness is a transmission of the faith in words and deeds. Witness is an act of justice that establishes the truth or makes it known. All Christians, by the example of their lives and the witness of their word, wherever they live, have an obligation to manifest the new man which they have put on in baptism and to reveal the power of the Holy Spirit by whom they were strengthened at confirmation. Martyrdom is the supreme witness given to the truth of the faith. It means bearing witness even unto death. The martyr bears witness to Christ who died and rose, to whom he is united by charity. He bears witness to the truth of the faith and of Christian doctrine. He endures death through an act of fortitude. Let me become the food of the beast through whom it will be given me to reach God. The church has painstakingly collected the records of those who persevered to the end in witnessing to their faith. These are the acts of the martyrs. They form the archives of truth written in letters of blood. Neither the pleasures of the world nor the kingdoms of this age will be of any use to me. It is better for me to die in order to unite myself to Christ Jesus than to reign over the ends of the earth. I seek him who died for us. I desire him who rose for us. My birth is approaching. That's St. Ignatius of Antioch. I bless you for having judged me worthy from this day and this hour to be counted among your martyrs. You have kept your promise, God of faithfulness and truth. For this reason and for everything, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved son. Through him who is with you and the Holy Spirit, may glory be given to you now and in the ages to come. Amen. And that was on the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. Offenses against truth. Christ's disciples have put on the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. By putting away falsehood, they are to put away all malice and all guile and insincerity and envy and all slander. False witness and perjury. When it is made publicly, a statement contrary to the truth takes on a particular gravity. In court, it becomes false witness. When it is under oath, it is perjury. Acts such as these contribute to condemnation of the innocent exoneration of the guilty, or the increased punishment of the accused. They gravely compromise the exercise of justice and the fairness of judicial decisions. Respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause them unjust injury. He becomes guilty, a rash judgment who even tacitly assumes as true, without sufficient foundation, the moral fault of a neighbor." of detraction, who without objectively valid reason discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them, of calumny, who by remarks contrary to the truth harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgment concerning them. To avoid rash judgment, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. Every good Christian ought to be more ready to give a favorable interpretation to another statement than to condemn it. But if he cannot do so, let him ask how the other understands it. And if the latter understands it badly, let the former correct him with love. If that does not suffice, let the Christian try all suitable ways to bring the other to a correct interpretation so that he may be saved. That's St. Ignatius of Loyola. Detraction and calumny destroy the reputation and honor of one's neighbor. Honor is the social witness given to human dignity, and everyone enjoys a natural right to the honor of his name and reputation and to respect. Thus, detraction and calumny offend against the virtues of justice and charity. Every word or attitude is forbidden which by flattery, adulation, or complacence encourages and confirms another in malicious acts and perverse conduct. Adulation is a grave fault if it makes one an accomplice in another's vices or grave sins. Neither the the desire to be of service nor friendship justifies duplicitous speech. Adulation is a venial sin when it only seeks to be agreeable, to avoid evil, to meet a need, or to obtain legitimate advantages. Boasting or bragging is an offense against truth. So is irony, aimed at disparaging someone by maliciously caricaturing some aspect of his behavior. A lie consists in speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving. The Lord denounces lying as the work of the devil. You are of your father the devil. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lying is the most direct defense against the truth. To lie is to speak or act against the truth in order to lead someone into error. By injuring man's relation to truth and to his neighbor, a lie offends against the fundamental relation of man and of his word to the Lord. The gravity of a lie is measured against the nature of the truth it deforms, the circumstances, the intentions of the one who lies, and the harm suffered by its victims. To lie is to speak or act against the truth in order to lead someone into error. By its very nature, lying is to be condemned. It is a profanation of speech, whereas the purpose of speech is to communicate known truth to others. The deliberate intention of leading a neighbor into error by saying things contrary to the truth constitutes a failure in justice and charity. The culpability is greater when the intention of deceiving entails the risk of deadly consequences for those who are led astray. Since it violates the virtue of truthfulness, a lie does real violence to another. It affects his ability to know which is a condition of every judgment and decision. It contains the seed of discord and all consequent evils. Lying is destructive of society It undermines trust among men and tears apart the fabric of social relationships. Every offense committed against justice and truth entails the duty of reparation, even if its author has been forgiven. When it is impossible publicly to make reparation for a wrong, it must be made secretly. If someone who has suffered harm cannot be directly compensated, he must be given moral satisfaction in the name of charity. This duty of reparation also concerns offenses against another's reputation. This reparation, moral and sometimes material, must be evaluated in terms of the extent of the damage inflicted. It obliges in conscience. Respect for the truth. The right to the communication of the truth is not unconditional. Everyone must conform his life to the gospel precept of fraternal love. This requires us in concrete situations to judge whether or not it is appropriate to reveal the truth to someone who asks for it. Charity and respect for the truth should dictate the response to every request for information or communication. The good and safety of others, respect for privacy, and the common good are sufficient reasons for being silent about what ought not be known or for making use of a discreet language. The duty to avoid scandal often commands strict discretion. No one is bound to reveal the truth to someone who does not have the right to know it. The secret of the Sacrament of Reconciliation is sacred and cannot be violated under any any pretext. The sacramental seal is inviolable. Therefore, it is a crime for a confessor in any way to betray a penitent by word or in any other manner or for any reason. Professional secrets, for example, those of political office holders, soldiers, physicians, and lawyers, or confidential information given under the seal of secrecy must be kept Save in exceptional cases where keeping the secret is bound to cause very grave harm to the one who confided it, to the one who received it, or to a third party, and where the very grave harm can be avoided only by divulging the truth. Even if not confided, under the seal of secrecy, private information prejudicial to another is not to be divulged without a grave and proportionate reason. Everyone should observe an appropriate reserve concerning persons' private lives. Those in charge of communications should maintain a fair balance between the requirements of the common good and respect for individual rights. Interference by the media in the private lives of persons engaged in political or public activity is to be condemned to the extent that it infringes upon their privacy and freedom. The use of the social communications media. Within modern society, the communications media play a major role in information, cultural promotion, and formation. This role is increasing as a result of technological progress, the extent and diversity of the news transmitted, and the influence exercised on public opinion. The information provided by the media is at the service of the common good. Society has a right to information based on truth, freedom, justice, and solidarity. The proper exercise of this right demands that the content of the communication be true and, within the limits set by justice and charity, complete. Further, it should be communicated honestly and properly. This means that in the gathering and in the publication of news, the moral law and the legitimate rights and dignity of man should be upheld. It is necessary that all members of society meet the demands of justice and charity in this domain. They should help through the means of social communication in the formation and diffusion of sound public opinion. Solidarity is a consequence of genuine and right communication, and the free circulation of ideas that further knowledge and respect for others. The means of social communication, especially the mass media, can give rise to a certain passivity among users, making them less than vigilant consumers of what is said or shown. Users should practice moderation and discipline in their approach to the mass media. They will want to form enlightened and correct consciences the more easily to resist unwholesome influences. By the very nature of their profession, journalists have an obligation to serve the truth and not offend against a charity in disseminating information. They should strive to respect with equal care the nature of the facts and the limits of critical judgment concerning individuals. They should not stoop to defamation. Civil authorities have particular responsibilities in this field because of the common good. It is for the civil authority to defend and safeguard a true and just freedom of information. By promulgating laws and overseeing their application, public authorities should ensure that public morality and social progress are not gravely endangered through misuse of the media. Civil authorities should punish any violation of the rights of individuals to their reputation and privacy. They should give timely and reliable reports concerning the general good or respond to the well-founded concerns of the people. Nothing can justify recourse to disinformation for manipulating public opinion through the media. Interventions by public authorities should avoid injuring the freedom of individuals or groups. Moral judgment must condemn the plague of totalitarian states, which systematically falsify the truth, exercise political control of opinion through the media, manipulate defendants and witnesses at public trials, and imagine that they secure their tyranny by strangling and repressing everything they consider thought crimes. Truth, Beauty, and Sacred Art The practice of goodness is accompanied by spontaneous spiritual joy and moral beauty. Likewise, truth carries with it the joy and splendor of spiritual beauty. Truth is beautiful in itself. Truth in words, the rational expression of the knowledge of created and uncreated reality, is necessary to man who is endowed with intellect. But truth can also find other complementary forms of human expression. Above all, when it is a matter of evoking what is beyond words, the depths of the human heart, the exaltations of the soul, the mystery of God. Even before revealing himself to man in words of truth, God reveals himself to him through the universal language of creation, the work of his word, of his wisdom, the order and harmony of the cosmos, which both the child and the scientist discover. From the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator, for the author of beauty created them. Wisdom is a breath of the power of God and a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore, nothing defiled gains entrance into her, for she is a reflection of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working of God, and an image of his goodness. For wisdom is more beautiful than the sun and excels every constellation of the stars. Compared with the light, she is found to be superior, for it is succeeded by the night, but against wisdom evil does not prevail. I became enamored of his beauty. Of her beauty. Created in the image of God, man also expresses the truth of his relationship with God the Creator by the beauty of his artistic works. Indeed, art is a distinctively human form of expression. Beyond the search for the necessities of life, which is common to all living creatures, art is a freely given superabundance of the human being's inner riches. Arising from talent given by the Creator and from man's own effort, art is a form of practical wisdom, uniting knowledge and skill to give form to the truth of reality in a language accessible to sight or hearing. To the extent that it is inspired by truth and love of beings, art bears a certain likeness to God's activity in what he has created. Like any other human activity, art is not an absolute end in itself, but is ordered to and ennobled by the ultimate end of man. Sacred art is true and beautiful when its form corresponds to its particular vocation evoking and glorifying in faith and adoration the transcendent mystery of God, the surpassing invisible beauty of truth and love visible in Christ, who reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This spiritual beauty of God is reflected in the most holy virgin mother of God, the angels and saints. Genuine sacred art draws man to adoration, to prayer, and to the love of God, creator and savior, the holy one and sanctifier. For this reason, bishops, personally or through delegates, should see to the promotion of sacred art, old and new, in all its forms, with the same religious care, removed from the liturgy and from places of worship, everything which is not in conformity with the truth of faith and the authentic beauty of sacred art. In brief, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Christ's disciples have put on the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Truth or truthfulness is the virtue which consists in showing oneself true in deeds and truthful in words, and guarding against duplicity, dissimulation, and hypocrisy. The Christian is not to be ashamed of testifying to our Lord in deed and word. Martyrdom is the supreme witness given to the truth of the faith. Respect for the reputation and honor of persons forbids all detraction and calumny in word or attitude. Lying consists in saying what is false with the intention of deceiving one's neighbor. An offense committed against the truth requires reparation. The golden rule helps one discern in concrete situations whether or not it would be appropriate to reveal the truth to someone who asks for it. The sacramental seal is inviolable. Professional secrets must be kept. Confidences prejudicial to another are not to be divulged. Society has a right to information based on truth, freedom, and justice. One should practice moderation and discipline in the use of the social communications media. The fine arts, but above all sacred art, of their nature are directed toward expressing in some way the infinite beauty of God in works made by human hands. Their dedication to the increase of God's praise and of his glory is more complete, the more exclusively they are devoted to turning men's minds devoutly toward God. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.